Welcome to Talking About Blood. I'm Helen Osborne, host of this podcast series and a member of the advisory board for The Blood Project. I also produce and host my own podcast series called Health Literacy Out Loud. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Parul Bhargava, who is Professor and Vice Chair of Laboratory Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. Parul is a pathologist with subspecialty training in hematology. She describes herself as passionate about medical education and has authored or edited numerous academic publications. Parul and I are both members of the advisory board for the Blood Project. Welcome to Talking About Blood. Hi, Helen. Happy to be here. I'm so glad to be talking with you. I'm, I really am enjoying getting to know people who are part of the, the advisory board for the Blood Project. And most of the ones I've spoken to are, practi- are interacting directly with patients, some form of um, clinical medicine, I think. But your background is more in laboratory medicine and pathology. Now, some people might know a lot about that, some may not, but can we kind of take it from the top? What exactly does a pathologist do? That's a great question, Helen. Um, I'd like to share a story that uh, my father, who's a physician in India, shared with me about pathology as a branch in medicine. And he basically said that if medicine were a tree, then the roots are what we need to know about the normal body, so normal anatomy, normal physiology, and so on. Okay. Pathology is the trunk of the tree that connects. Okay, the big, that's big center part. That's right. It connects what is normal to what is disease. So pathology, in a nutshell, is a study of disease, which is the basis of all of medicine. And then the branches are the different subspecialties. So you could be a specialist in one organ, a brain or heart or gut and so on. But ultimately, you need to understand the basis of it all lies in pathology. It's really interesting that it's given me kind of this visual image. And when I think of a tree, like a maple tree that has the sap running all through it, and sometimes in the, you know, in the spring, the sap comes out and we get maple syrup. But I know that there's a lot going on inside that trunk I cannot see. Is there any metaphor or equivalent to the role of blood in that? Absolutely. So that's actually a great analogy. Just like the sap has to run all the way up to the very tip and back, Mm -hmm. so does blood uh, in our body. So blood is uh, basically the essential elixir of life, and it flows through every part of our body, carrying nutrients to different cells and tissues, and then bringing back uh, any byproducts or any waste material back to be removed from the body. Um, ah. So in in doing so, it's not just a transport medium. It's a very active, live, um, almost like an organ system 
that is um, carrying chemical signals also back and forth. So when we look at blood, we can actually tell a lot about what's going on in a, a patient uh, whose disease you might be trying to diagnose. And I assume that's what you do when I consider behind the scenes as a pathologist or in laboratory medicine. I mean, I'm speaking of this as not a physician, as just someone who has blood like every other person in this planet. Um, I would go to the lab, they would take my blood, then something, I don't know what happens, it goes in some little bottle and I don't see it again. And all, then the doctor or tells me or I get a report somewhere that my level is this or that and it's worrisome or it's not worrisome. You're the one that blood goes to, correct? That is correct. Just to back up a little, a pathologist would look at practically any tissue that might be removed from the body. So it may not necessarily be just blood, but if a surgeon takes a biopsy or if, um, you know, so th all those materials would come to a pathologist to be looked under a microscope. But blood certainly forms a very important initial um, test that m many people undergo, uh, a blood test. And the people who look at it are specialized within pathology into a field we call hematopathologist or a hematologist, okay. which is what I practice. This podcast is talking about blood. Can you just start describing, and, and our, let me tell you about the audience, the listeners for this. Yes, it, I hope there's many practicing pathologists uh, and hematologists who are listening to this, practicing physicians and clinicians. I also hope and expect we have many people newer in the field who are thinking about being a doctor or maybe in the early stages of their training. And then there are people and I feel I can speak for them in some ways who just had this tremendous curiosity about blood. So I hope you can address some of the features that can resonate with all of us. When you look at blood in the lab as a pathologist, what are you looking for and what can you learn? I'd love to answer that question because that's what I've spent my entire life doing. Okay. <laughs> So the blood essentially has two main components. There is a liquid component, which we call plasma, and that is like a straw-colored liquid. Okay. And floating, floating in it are um, cells. So mm -hmm. there are multiple types of cells, but three main categories, white cells, red cells, and platelets. So when a blood test is drawn, uh, we can do uh, multiple things with it. We can run the blood through different machines and study the chemical composition, mm -hmm. which is in the liquid part. And we are looking for chemical derangements, which can give us clues to what is going on in the patient's body. For example, if someone comes with chest pain and we are worried about uh, there being a heart attack, Mm -hmm. uh, there are certain chemicals that that elevate in the blood. Oh, and okay. That, yes, so then we can uh, measure them and even serially trend them to see uh, if there is heart damage. So that is the chemical part of the blood. And uh -huh. then there is the cell part of the blood. The cell numbers are 
tightly regulated. But when the numbers go up or down, they mm-hmm. indicate certain diseases. Mm-hmm. So we can measure the number, but we can also make a smear of the blood on a glass slide and mm-hmm. look at it under the microscope to look for abnormalities that are not of count, but of appearance. Oh, okay. Because I hear a lot of the hematologists in our group talking about blood smears, and then I see pictures of them, and there are arrows pointing to, isn't this a really interesting one? And it's like, they're looking at the cell structure of that? That's right. So we are looking at the types of cells that are floating in the blood, and whether they are normal or abnormal in appearance. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sometimes there are young, immature cells that live in the bone marrow and are not normally present in blood that we start to see in blood. So they can tell us different things about what's going on. So sometimes the diseases are off the blood or off the marrow itself, Mm -hmm. meaning the marrow is not producing things properly or or is producing too much of a thing. And sometimes the cells are reacting to something. So, for example, if someone had an infection, a bacterial infection somewhere, Mm -hmm. the white blood cells are our fighter cells. So they will typically go uh, up in number and they will change their appearance so they are ready to attack that bacteria. So we can look at that and tell you, oh, you might be having an infection. Let's um, look at your urine or let's look at your teeth, you know, and see mm-hmm. where the infection is. This is fascinating. I'm just seeing you as this great detective, you and your <laughs> colleagues. And it's so, uh, there's so much more to it. I mean, I get my test results and I have to have someone explain them to me. But you're the one who's really doing the deep investigation. I'm curious what what happens next but I also I want to kind of go to the side what happened to disease and detection of disease before there were such sophisticated blood tests and pathologists like you so most of the time it was a clinical uh, examination that you know the very early clinicians or physicians uh, that's what they did they would listen to uh, people's Uh, sounds of the body. They would Mm -hmm. tap and see if they can feel any fluid anywhere. Um, They would take temperature. They would see if there was pain. So it was mostly to do with physical examination. Um, There were clues. For example, you know, you've often seen doctors look at people's eyes and uh, they can tell if there's paleness, which means there is anemia, mm-hmm. which now we can diagnose objectively by saying, okay, yes, the red cells are low in number, oh, okay. which is what anemia is. So is what you're doing, is this a lot, is there a lot changing these days because of all the technology and the tools that we have? Absolutely. There has been an experience explosion of knowledge and and you know the blood lends itself it's really at the cutting edge of of diagnoses these days because it is the most easily obtained tissue with sort of minimal um uh, disruption to the patient's body oh okay um you know, we've come a long way from the days of looking at things under microscope, which is still a very, very important tool. But 
nowadays we can go so much deeper. We can look at protein expression on the cells using sophisticated analyzers. We can look at the genes. We can look at the molecular level uh, derangements that could happen that are driving what we are seeing under the microscope. And that is so important because once you know the genetic basis of a certain disease, one can then develop therapies that target that genetic basis and cure people. And there are many examples of that. So uh, somebody, you know, a clinician has a person have a blood test. The blood, and I'm just using blood. It could be any part of the body, but since we're focusing on blood, and then your lab gets it, and you are learning so much about all the components of the blood, how do you close that loop and get back to the person who is treating that person? Yes, so we actually are uh, forming a full, detailed, comprehensive report that is available to the physician as well as to the patient in in most cases uh, that uh, ties together everything we see. So not just what we are seeing under the microscope, Mm -hmm. but if we did additional studies, like studied the protein expression or studied the genetic basis, uh, we we put all of it together and then come up with a unified diagnosis. So in, in some ways, a pathologist is like the doctor's doctor. That's terrific. And and are you helping to give suggestions about how to treat too? Um, yes. So uh, these days, it's it's a close collaboration. It's it's very strong teamwork that we have with the clinical team. Uh, we are constantly reading and learning about new therapies that are available. And if that therapy, say, happened to target a particular protein or a particular genetic marker, then we would look for that. And then in our report, we would, we would say that it expresses this or does not express this. So the clinician will then know whether targeting that would be effective. Wow. You know, I, I'm so delighted to be talking to you and really hearing about the teamwork, including the people I would never be seeing in person. So since I described our listeners and we can come from all ilks, I wonder what you would, I would love to hear what you would like to share with practicing physicians, with those new to the field, and with those of us just curious about the role of pathology and hematology and all of that. So should we start with the practicing physicians? What would you want them to know that perhaps they don't already? So um, to the people who are already practicing in the field of hematology, uh, especially in, say, pathology, even though they are behind the scenes, never should we forget that there is a patient, a family behind the samples that we are seeing, even though we are not seeing the patient directly. Um, You know, I have to tell you um, a little anecdote. So I had uh, a very, very excellent meticulous technologist whose job it was to make smears from patients' bone marrow samples. and, you know, we have a lot of quality checks uh, in the lab every day. So we make sure that the stain works properly and everything is done perfectly, uh, which becomes 
sort of a matter of routine after some time. Mm-hmm. But um, unfortunately, the, that technologist had a condition that required her to undergo a marrow. When she was on the other side and she came back, she came back and told everyone, I now treat everything like gold. It is so oh. precious. Because oh. it, she experienced the the agony it is waiting for that result. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we take, for example, one of our quality metrics is to make sure our turnaround times for our reports uh, stays under a certain, you know, number oh, so okay. so it it then it it hits home that you know if every day that it, there's a delay you know there's a patient whose anxiety is going up so even though we don't see the patients directly mm-hmm. i think keeping that human uh, factor in mind is so important Oh, thank you. And as I'm thinking of all the experiences that I wait for test results, and certainly other people I know waste for test results, that wait, that waiting is excruciating. So, oh, thank you. Thank you for taking that into account, sharing that story, and reminding us all about the people behind the sample. What about someone thinking about being a doctor or in, in the early years of their career? Not just a doctor, anyone in the health professions. What what would you want them to know about some of the work that you do? I think the work that we do is such a privilege to be able to do what we do. And, you know, I love telling stories, so if you don't mind indulging me. (laughs) uh, Please share one more. One more. So um, I I have a daughter who is uh, in college and maybe thinking of going into medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, she called me earlier today and, uh, you know, just asked me what I was doing. So I told her I'm looking at the bone marrow of a little child who's two years old. Um, mm-hmm. So she was um, a little saddened and she said, well, what do you see? So I said, well, the child had leukemia, but they were treated. And I see now the marrow in follow-up, and it is free of disease. And that gave her such joy. And she's like, wow, doesn't that make your day? And it certainly does. Oh, you know, you're making my... I'm getting goosebumps with every one of your stories. I don't know the physiology of goosebumps, but I'm getting them as you relate to the humanity and the humanness of doing all this. Last bit of advice, or what would you want to share with everyday people like me who just have a curiosity about blood? Well, the blood is such an important window to what is going on in the body and it is a wealth of information that one can derive from a blood test mm-hmm. so when you go there and and those tubes are drawn and you know patients are sometimes wondering why do i have to give so much blood mm-hmm. well think about how much science has advanced that nobody had to go open a body and and find something that mm. we can look at the blood, just a little tiny pinprick and, and tell so much, gather so much information about what's going on um, in the patient. And that uh, information is just growing. So, you know, uh, while we want to thank the patients for being part of their own care, mm-hmm. but also re- 
realize that you know giving that that tube of blood is actually uh, giving so much information about what might be happening. I will be doing exactly that the next time I'm doing it, not just grumbling that I have to do this or that or it hurts a little bit, but really think of that team. And I hope that I keep that image too of that tree and how, you know, our sap, our blood running through it is just, you know, tells us so much about life and living, illness and health. Parul, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing all you do and talking with us about it on Talking About the Blood. Thank you so much, Helen. It was an absolute pleasure. To learn more about The Blood Project and explore its many resources for professionals, trainees, and patients, go to www.thebloodproject.com. I invite you also to listen to my podcast series about health communication called Health Literacy Out Loud at www.healthliteracyoutloud.com. Please help spread the word about this podcast series and The Blood Project. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Helen Osborne.